Welcome to the Enrich Your Soul podcast, a series of inspirational messages, stories, and testimonials to help you achieve your goals or just get started in creating a new positive direction in your life. I'm your host, Rich Bracken, and in each episode, I will share a new perspective through perseverance and self-awareness to help you live your best life personally and professionally. Let's get started. Welcome, everyone, to the Enrich Your Soul podcast. Today's episode is one that I am elated to bring to you because I get to talk to a very good friend of mine and share his story and the wisdom and insights that he brings to my life. And I know countless others. I, he's he's grimacing with, in pain as if I'm setting him up for failure, which is <laughs> incorrect because I am speaking the truth to who Roy Sexton is, and I'm excited to have him on the show. Welcome, Roy. I'm so Thank thankful you. to you for being here. Well, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I, I appreciate it. Wear my best Bette Midler t-shirt for you. I love it. It's, I can't, it's I can't see your face. I can only see her hair, which is high enough. That, oh, there it is. Hi, Bette. She's awesome. <laughs> You're the wind beneath my wings. Oh, I love it. You're mm. my beach. <laughs> it's Friday. It's, it's, it's Friday. <laughs> Uh, so Roy, for, for those of you that, that aren't lucky enough to know you yet, can you tell us a little bit about your background and, and where you've come to today? Sure. Um, I am a director of marketing for Clark Hill, which is a law firm. Uh, my office is in Detroit, but we have offices around the country and world. We have 25 offices. One uh, is also in Dublin and Mexico City, and then we're in, uh, obviously across the United States. I've been in legal marketing role since 2011. And uh, really, I, I would say what I like about that work is not only the, the legal marketing family that includes wonderful people like you, Rich, which I do, I would say is, is, a, is a big and important influence in my life, people like you and, and the Legal Marketing Association and the friends I've made there and have made a career for me in this world. But I like helping attorneys find their voice. I don't know that narrative is something that they always understand or appreciate or how valuable it can be as they grow their businesses. Uh, back in another lifetime, I was in healthcare marketing and planning for about a decade. And it's interesting to have gone from doctors to attorneys, uh, you know, groups of people that, that have gone through a guild kind of training mm-hmm. and sort of think about the craft of either healthcare or lawyering, legal Mm-hmm. Um, and aren't really necessarily trained on how to run a business or communicate or engage or, uh, you know, uh, go through the day-to-day piece of what it means to run a corporation. So I'm happy that in both instances, I've been able to work with people who do good work in this world and are really helpful. Um, and, you know, I can kind of help them succeed and find their voices. And then uh, back, back, back in time, I was an English and theater major at an all-male liberal arts college and got a master's in theater and then realized I may need to find a real job. So uh, <laughs> so then I talked my way into jobs I'm not qualified for. Uh, I did get an MBA from U of M at one point just to balance things out. But that's my there's my uh, my CV, so you know <laughs> where I've been and what I've done. Well, and, and speaking of finding voices, you do have one of the most phenomenal voices I've ever heard, which is, is making me aspire to, to want to become a better singer. And you also you perform quite a bit, right? I do. Yeah. I mean, that, that what I find that, uh, you know, having a, I have a master's in theater and I have an MBA and I find that my theater degree is as helpful, if not more so in the business community than my MBA, because as marketers, we are here to engage an audience and help them uh, want to engage with us. And you learn a lot of great skills in theater 
And I, I like musicals, you know, that's the mm-hmm. thing that I enjoy uh, the most. And I never, I wasn't in the choir. I didn't do those things in high school. I hung out with the football team and had, and they were my friends. I didn't play sports, but I just didn't do the theater thing. And it wasn't until college. Uh, they were doing the Merchant of Venice on campus and I was writing a lot about Shakespeare and I thought I should be in one. And I did a play and loved it. And then got into musicals and it always, you know, I sing in the car, uh, the, mm-hmm. Yeah, Dean Martin and Barbara Streisand and Lena Horne and people. And so they were my teachers. And then uh, I got cast in a musical called The Fantastics uh, about 97. And my mother, who does musicals, did them uh, regularly. She's like, do you sing? I go, "Hmm." and she was terrified. She said that when she came to the show, she's like, what am I going to sit through? And I opened my mouth and I sang and, and she just was like, Oh, okay. He's, <laughs> he's all right. You know, and that has been um, something I love. I mean, we all the, the thing we do that you don't think, you know, you're, you're an athlete and you're an inspiring speaker and it seems like it just comes really naturally to you. And I admire and envy that. I don't know that don't be so arrogant as to say singing comes naturally to me, but it's something I can do without giving a lot of thought to. Mm-hmm. And it seems to engage people and they like to hear it. Mm-hmm. And I can tell a story through song and it's probably the, the biggest joy uh, of my creative life is when I get to sing. So I'll, you know, I'll just drop a show tune sometimes into a speech and people are like, okay, what's happening? You know? I have, but it, I it, have it, been in said audience when you have done that. And it's phenomenal. Like I've never seen, <laughs> I mean, we, we've all sat through, I mean, the vast majority of us have sat through some sort of a presentation or a speech or a lecture or a PowerPoint of some sort and we all kind of get the same feeling like there's a glass over point at some point, but yeah. I've never seen an audience so captivated as the time that I sat in the front row of one of your presentations. And in the middle of your presentation, you just burst into song. And I looked around, and I was like, this is awesome. And <laughs> Luke, people are frightened. And then, you know, and, um, and I go into the audience. I mean, there's, uh, right. uh, I, I, uh, there are a couple of songs. I mean, I can only remember the lyrics to like four songs in a given time. So it's either going to be pure imagination or putting it together from Sunday in the park with George, you know I mean? It's nothing. I can only remember like four songs. And so you start one of these things and I start running around the audience and the look on people's faces, they're like, please leave me alone, but what's going to happen <laughs> next? And, um, it is, I also think it's a, it's a, it's a moment of vulnerability mm. that I, you know, you're taking a risk in front of people and you're already taking a risk giving a speech, but it's sort of accepted risk. And to, right. to, to launch into a song and then to try to find some tangential way to tie it back to the point you're trying to make, um, people are, you have them then they're, they're, they're with you. Like you're a nut. I enjoy you. Uh, let's see what happens next. So it is, you know, and I, I'm, uh, I've worked in a lot of nonprofits. I've worked in a lot of organizations where resources aren't plentiful. So I'm a fan of use the resources you got, you know, mm-hmm. if you sing, sing and find a way to make it work in that situation. And for the most part, uh, it seems like I've, I've done okay with that. <laughs> you've, you've done a wonderful job and I've borne witness to that. So the one, the one thing that I know about you, um, is that you, and, and I think this is something that we have in common. I know that we have in common is that, um, we have a, a very solid introversion to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so we, we both are, will, will classify as introverts, but we have this extroverted capability. So can you tell a little bit about how you yeah. manage that? Because I know that that's yeah. something that you and I both yeah. have in common. Yeah. And I, you know, I've heard people use the term ambivert mm-hmm. and I, you know, I, I kind of, it's helpful. Um, I, 
And I, you know, the other thing is when you say you're an introvert, you immediately get people who want to intervene on your behalf and go, Oh no, you're not. Right. Oh, like it's a bad thing. Um, right. and you know, I'm also a vegetarian and I'm left-handed and you know, other things I'm like, people are those bad things too i mean it's just these are qualities <laughs> that we have um it was probably about 15 years ago i was working with an executive coach and she was kind of helping me just understand how to position myself better as the best coaches do right and we did all the testing and the you know are you infj all those things right mm-hmm. um and it, i came out introverted and i had the same reaction to her i'm like oh but i'm I'm really social and i like to be out there and i like to do theater and she goes well that they're not mutually exclusive introversion and extroversion are where you get your energy. Mm-hmm. Do you get energy by being alone? I go, Oh heck yeah. I'm an only child. And I just, I like to be off by myself. I've this six, seven week pandemic is awful for the world. And I don't, I don't, I wish it wasn't happening, mm-hmm. but I'm kind of in my zone. Like I've been training for this my whole life and people are like, but you go, you go to all these events. You love being out there. I go, I, I don't really, I know it's expected of me, I know I have to make my way through a crowd. I that's why I use music. That's why I do social media. I find ways to quiet the eighth grade voice that's afraid I won't be allowed to sit at the lunch table with the, the, the neat kids. So I find other ways to and in, insert myself into the conversation so I don't have that sense of uncertainty. But it still drains me to be in a crowd of people to to even even a conversation like this although i find when two introverts are talking i find it more energizing mm-hmm. but it is still it's it i will be depleted and i will need to sit i come home from work sometimes in a particularly bad day or a day where i've just had people at me at me and i am in my suit and i go john i'm just going to go lay on the bed and i need to lay on the bed for like 20 minutes like i'm in a sarcophagus and i just don't move right. <laughs> and then i hear hey dinner's ready and i'm like oh good okay and then i'm ready to <laughs> but Again, it's where you get your energy. So if you're with a crowd of people and you find your energy depleting, chances are good you're an introvert. Mm-hmm. Walk away. Because if I don't walk away, I say something I regret. I am not clear. Or I ramble. I spin. I just shut down. And you have to know that about yourselves. And similarly, the extroverts in our lives, this moment is is very difficult for them. They like to think out loud. They have to talk to people and see people and you know i can go weeks without a phone call and i'm perfectly fine Mm -hmm. but for other people it's like no one calls me anymore i don't hear any from anybody and i'm i get that so we have to have that balance and appreciation that all of us kind of get through this life in different ways when you know it about yourself and you figure it out it does it's like a a door opens and you go oh i get it i get why Mm -hmm. i've always felt cranky in these situations i get i mean i've hidden in the bathroom before at certain functions because i'm like i can't deal with this crowd of people i'm just i'm that person who sits in the bathroom going one one thousand two one thousand okay i can go back out um so you know so with with that and i think you and i you know you and i also have this in common is that we have the introversion and we do we recharge like i i can't tell you the premium that i put on my 20 minutes 30 minutes to work and, and from work because right. I'm in my car, I'm in my zone, I've got my music, I'm decompressing right. or or energizing moving into work. Um, and so I, I completely I completely assimilate with what you're saying. But yeah. I think we also have the the that big like head tilt that people would give us, like, well, you're introverted, but 
you know, for yeah. you, you can get up in front of a crowd and perform on stage. And for me, right. as a, you know, in a previous life being a DJ or currently, you know, right. getting up and giving presentations in front of people, like somebody would say, well, how can you be introverted, but then do these things? So where, right. what do you get out of the present out of the presentations mm -hmm. or out of the performances that would balance that for you? Yeah. And I, you know, the, a key piece of that too is again, introverts, it's not that we're not social, right? It's just that I need processing time. Mm -hmm. Um, and for me, I, it occurred to me once, I think I like theater because it has a structure to it and there mm -hmm. is a distance between me and the crowd. And I, you know, I, I know you're, I've heard you, you're a fantastic DJ. The, the night you and Cynthia both were DJing together. I was like, I was dancing because I like to dance, you know, right. and I, and I'm one of those people, I don't care if anybody else is dancing. I don't care if anybody else is on the dance floor. I don't care if I look foolish. I like to dance. Right. And for me, it's not a collaborative activity or collective. It's an, it's just, it feels good. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, I see you DJing and it gives you that sense of I'm connecting, but I'm connecting in a framework and wow. I'm getting to give people a gift. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I get to engage with them, but I don't have to have the sort of random uncertainty of their energy coming at me. I'm kind of like, and that's why I like about theater. There's a script. That's why I like singing. There's, it's already laid out for me. I don't have to write the song or come up with it out of broadcloth. I can interpret, play with it, deliver it, say, thank you for coming. I got to go change my costume and then go back and just sit there quietly. Mm -hmm. And I get my social time because I'm with other actors. Right. And we prepare and there's a, there's a pattern to it. And you know, there's also a puzzle to it. Like, and I think it's probably true for your DJing. What's going to get the best response, right? What mix of song dip high, you know, I mean, and mm -hmm. what's going to, what's going to get, and, and you see that magic happening on the floor. Right. And you, you realize I'm having an influence on them. That makes me feel good, but I'm not having to have a conversation with all of them. It that's, sounds awful. That, and I love that about theater. I, I get my social activity in. I get my creativity in. I get my problem solving in. It's great to find a character and go, what is this person about? Um, and I find it therapeutic to to play really difficult people. Mm -hmm. It's kind of become my my latter life acting career. I play nut, nutty, nutty people. I get cast all the time in these very strange parts. I'm like, what? And I love it because it is like, it is it is so cathartic to play a character that is having troubles in life because you got to figure out they don't walk through life thinking they're the bad guy. They walk through life thinking they're doing the right thing, mm -hmm. but they're not. Right. Why? And, you know, and, and, and you, it brings a kind of empathy and understanding to your daily life too. So, you know, that's why I do it. Right. Did I, did I guess right? Why you DJ? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I've never had it. I've never thought of it that way. Um, and I, cause I've always thought of it as, you know, when you mentioned providing a gift, like that to me is why I love president, you know, giving speeches. I, that's why I love DJing because I have an ability and a talent to do something and to, to be able to have my, and, and I I'm now combining your thought and mine, I, the idea that I can sit within my bubble of either being yeah. on stage or being in a booth and provide that gift. And yeah. even if I'm standing on top of the DJ booth and, you know, inciting the crowd, I'm mm -hmm. still in my world, mm -hmm. sharing that energy, getting the response from a distance. Right. At Midler. From um, a distance. The exact Z, to tying it all in. Can't help it. <laughs> There's, no, that's, that's the gift we share. I could, I could segue <laughs> songs and lyrics all day long. 
Um, but I think it's, it's that ability to provide that gift, do what I need to do. Because like, I, I will say that when I get done with a presentation, whether it's a three hour DJ set or a one hour keynote, I'm exhausted. Yeah. Because I have dumped everything into it. And you put I, it on I the field. It. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And so when I leave or if I, you know, when I would get done with the show, I remember uh, one of my biggest shows that I ever did, I went back to the dressing room at this theater and I just sat down. I couldn't, I couldn't see straight. I was so exhausted mm-hmm. because there were mm-hmm. 3000 people in the audience going bananas. Yeah. And it was just but, something. And, that was, and that's when you're in your zone too. I mean, right. I, I did a, I did a musical called the mystery of Edwin Drew a couple of years ago and it, it was such a, a transformative theater experience. I didn't want to do another show. I mean, never understood that. And it sounds like it's community theater. I'm not, you know, I didn't win an Oscar, but I understand that when people give that performance of a lifetime and they're like, I'm never doing it again. I'm never writing another book. And every night after I do that show, I was just like, it was so rewarding and I was so wiped out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, you know, I mean, we're probably, you know, I, I'm, I don't bother to do any research on anything. I just fly by the seat of my pants anymore. So I, I, there are people who understand introversion and write books and read and research. I'm not that person. Right. I just know the, the the body I'm in and the mind I'm in. So I might be ascribing a lot to introversion. That's a whole lot of other pathology. You know, I mean, I, the other big part of this is we all want to know we matter, right? That we, we did something and are, do you and I get along well because we're, we're introverts and we're also egomaniacs and we want to, we want to leave a mark on the world and we want to be seen and we want to be known and probably, and that's okay. Um, cause I, that's a part of, that's a big part of what motivates me too, is I like, I want to, I want to be remembered for something that mattered and I do want to help people. And there is something selfish in the act of helping people because it's like, I'm helping you, but I also know that in helping you, i I mattered. I I made some kind of impact in your life. And if that leaves a footprint, great. And I'm grateful for it. Um, Because otherwise, what's the point of being on this planet? So, you know, whether it's through theater or DJing or, you know, I mean, you, you similarly, this is just a love fest. You, you, you know, you've been on the $25,000 pyramid or whatever the denomination is now, (laughs) 100,000. I don't know. I mean, you've done things that I'm just like, huh, how does that happen? I mean, how do you do that? So, um, and those are the adventures in life that we all need to have. And I also see what a wonderful father you are, how you find time. I see the videos. I see the pictures. You clearly have fun with your kids and your wife and your stormtrooper outfits and whatever you've got going on in that house um, is just you, you clearly have a lot of joy. And I know that also came from a hard one place. You know, we all have you lived through some stuff right. and didn't always feel like you were part of what you wanted to be part of and i think uh you know there's a, a song from a musical i did legally blonde you gotta have a chip on your shoulder and I, you know i think all of us have a little chip on our shoulder that we remember a moment in time where someone didn't really see us and we kind of go oh, i'm gonna show you you know so right. all of those things are i know in my in my makeup and i i latch on introversion but it's you know it's probably a whole lot of a whole, I probably should go to therapy. It's probably a whole lot of things I need to work on. And I've been, it's, it's invaluable. So I, I highly recommend, it's like, a, it's really like a really good restaurant. I highly recommend Phenomenal. Sounds like a nightclub, right? Um, that would be a great name say, of a nightclub, therapy. Right. Be a great name of a nightclub. It actually, I'm sure there actually probably is one called therapy. Mm, probably right. Um, mm. And now I can't think, I can't not think of Stefan right now from Saturday Night Live. 
This place has everything. It's, it's, club. it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> One thing that you said a minute ago resonated, and, and I, I think of this in because I know that you and I share this sentiment. And I know that we know some people, we share some some similar friends that you know, mutual friends that, that feel the same way. But outside of a circle, a core circle of people, I don't know that this exists. And, and what that is is that desire to want to serve, to improve to make that mark on the world that when we're gone, that we're remembered for doing something. Like I, my, my grandfather always told me, leave something better than you found it. Mm-hmm. And That's I good. live that, by that every single day, whether it's myself, whether it's my family, whether it's my friends, colleagues, whatever, whomever I'm coming in contact with. Right. I want to I leave them better than I found them. But yeah. outside of a core circle of people, and I don't mean this in, di- in a disrespectful way, I don't know that there are many people that feel the same way. I feel like there's a lot of people just swimming and hoping to get to the other side. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, and I think we get, I don't know, you know, I mean, there's a, I'm going to get really philosophical. So the Hobbes lock argument of who's, are we, are we born good or are we born evil? I mean, I don't know. And maybe we're all a little in both. Um, I think probably a lot of people set out in this life wanting to make a difference and the committee gets involved. The voices get involved, uh, the know-it-alls get involved, the people who think they can do it better get involved. And I think a lot of people get, I've had it happen. Uh, you get you get disaffected. I mean, I've had it happen in my theater life. I was brokenhearted over a theater company I was part of that I just felt one day kind of left me behind. And I look back on that and I'm like, well, is that really happening or is that, an, I don't know. Um, but it was a crossroads that I could have said, well, I'm done doing this stuff forever. And it sort of pushed me in a different direction. I got, I was speaking more. I was doing more for me, less for that group. Um, got a little more selfish, which maybe wasn't such a bad thing. Um, and so I, I kind of had, it was a crossroads, but it was a crossroads where I could have said, I don't want to do this. Anymore. I don't want to try to leave something better than I left it, mm-hmm. uh, than I found it. So I, I still believe that people want to do that, but they've had experiences or they've just gotten tired of trying to fight and swim upstream. I, you know, I think it's part of the challenge in our jobs as legal marketers, right? I mean, we work with people who argue for a living and push back and deal by precedent and what's happened in the past and don't always understand or embrace what could be coming or what will help them succeed. And then they see somebody else do it or you do what do it once and they're like, well, that's all I ever want to do. I want to do that over and over and over. Right. And we're the kind of people who are like, no, how about something new? Let's create something else. Let's try something. And we've chosen to be in an industry that isn't necessarily rewarding that. So it is easy, I think, to find yourself in that position of why, why do it anymore? Why push? I, I can go home and watch Netflix and relax and be comfortable in my home. And I think this moment we're in, I see myself both ways every day. You know, there are days where I'm like, I'm got this, I'm doing great stuff. And there are other days I'm like, I'm tired. Mm-hmm. I'm tired of trying for everybody else. Why? Mm-hmm. So I, I think, I guess my, my long-winded answer to you is I think probably more people are like us. We just keep stubbornly, <laughs> selfishly, we're, we're probably the dummies. We're the ones that we're like, why do they keep doing that? Just chill out, you know? Um, and I, I don't know. I, I think everybody wants to make things better. And I think they get selfish. And I, you know, I don't want to get political, but it is odd to watch right now those of us who are like, if I can stay home and keep people healthier, I am going to do that. 
and others that sort of see that as the selfish act and that are at the state house yelling at the governor saying, I want to get a haircut and go to Applebee's. And I'm going, but who suffers as a result of that? There was a wonderful piece from the member in charge at Denton's that said, guys, I know you all want to get back in the office. I don't know if you saw this, uh, but us going back in the office is causing a whole lot of other people who are at different income levels to have to come back in the office. And they ride the bus and they move in a group and they don't have the resources we have. So what are we, we turn the cog like this and all these other wheels have to spin this much faster as a result. So there's a, it's very easy to say, well, someone's being selfish and they think they're being noble. I'm going back into the office. I'm starting life again. But at what cost and what impact are you having? So this is this we're gonna we're gonna reflect on this time for years, right? It's gonna last years. But what did it reveal about human nature and our desire to make things better than we found them, or to say, "I'm sorry, I got my toilet paper. Good luck." And right. I don't know. And right. I, I've been both. I've been of both minds on a daily basis, to be honest with you. So. Yeah, and I think I and I appreciate the the transparency in that. Not that I would anticipate any less, but I think there's there's that there's that split ideal for everyone, and I think mm-hmm. there also has to be that um, understanding of the you know the 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 empathy and the compassion for others to yes. understand. I mean, yeah, I you know there there are parts of this that I love, mm-hmm. and there are parts of this that I'm like oh, I just can't yeah. take fill in the blank anymore. I want yeah. this to go back to the way it was. Yeah. And it never will go back to the way it was. Truly, mm-hmm. it, uh, it won't. And yeah. we could be transformed for the better as a result of it. I don't know. Yeah. And Brene I, Brown, I, I don't know. I'm paraphrasing, but I think Brene Brown said something the other day along the lines of what this did was also expose our weaknesses as a humanity that we hoarded too much and we yeah. were broken too much and we were disconnected too much and we were mm-hmm. we were doing things the wrong way we had the right. wrong priorities and what yeah. this has shown us is what was really truly important right and that's the tension i think we see in our society right now there are those that were doing really well and i'll admit i was doing well under the old ways mm-hmm. am i got a nice house i'm you know i'm sitting here in my basement because i can have a basement and be in it all day long and not feel constrained. Um, those people want things back the way they were. And the people that have kind of reflected differently, they're like, I don't know that I do want to go back to the way things were. And I, I think if we really, you know, talk about a culture war, that's, I think the tension we, we fall along red state, blue state, whatever. I don't even think it's that clean. I think there are those that were like, I was doing fine before let's make it like it was. Mm -hmm. And those of us that now have had I mean, you do this, you are, per, you, you are the fittest person I know. So you know what it means to detoxify and, you know, have, uh, have that time away. We have all had a forced detoxification for seven weeks now over what lives we had running around in our cars, eating out, buying too much crap. I'm still shopping a lot on Amazon, but it's a little harder. So I don't buy as much. Right. Um, and I've having been out of that now, I'm like, I don't eating out. I have no desire to go in a restaurant now. Mm-mm. My my husband's cooking. That helps. Right. But I really don't. Will I want to ever go in a restaurant again? I don't know. I'm right. sorry for the restaurateurs. So, you know, we, we a lot of us have had that detoxification. And I don't know that I want to go back. Right. And the others that still are on that mainlining that drug are like, you got to get back. Right. I want it back. And I, uh, I don't know. That's going to be the weird thing to watch. And I don't know where it's going to end up. 
Yeah, we need I, leadership, obviously, but we—that's uh, another question. Yeah, that's a whole—that's a whole another discussion. For we won't get into that one. No, 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 no. Um, but on that topic, and this is one of the yes. things that I, I admire about you as well, is that not only are you and I put in positions where we're surrounded by leaders quite a bit, but we also are seen as leaders. And in your experience in your different roles, professionally on board service, you know, and working in the community, doing all the things that you do. What do you think really tr- makes up what a true, solid, good leader is? I think they're willing to be broken and uncertain um, and collaborative and compassionate. And then they have a moment of true north out of that that they say, okay, now it's time. We got to move on and we got to try something. and. I probably would have answered that question differently at another point in my life. I used to think leaders need to be sure of themselves and certain and have a vision and all that. And I I think that's there, but I think leaders show their flaws. They're they're, They pause, they, 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 but then they show how those flaws can make them better and stronger and demonstrate that for the people around them. And I think they pick their battles. I'm finding that more. I, I used to think I had a conversation right before this. It delayed our, us getting on the phone, actually, where you know, we had something that's kind of bubbling up. And I, you know, we'd made a decision as a team in one direction. And I could sense that there was this movement happening in the other uh, from people we support. And I thought to myself, what battle do we want to fight here? And what do we gain? And what do we lose? And I think that has to be in the calculus of leadership. And I think that's why leaders get a lot of guff and people... The, the best leaders, you don't even know they're leading. They don't stand up on a dais. They don't give speeches. They don't, you know, here I am pontificating, but they just they just do stuff and they get things done and they make the people around them better. Mm-hmm. They make things better than they left them or when they, they leave things better than they found them. I'm like Yogi Berra. I get everything on <laughs> they You know, they, they leave things better than they found them. And that takes a toll and it comes with a sense of humility. Um, and it, and it, and it comes with a, a willingness to cry in front of people. I think a good leader can cry in front of people, mm-hmm. but then pull their stuff together and go, okay, that helped. Mm-hmm. That was like emotional pooping, excuse right. me. Right. And now I feel better and I can get on with things. Uh, to me, that's leadership. And I, I don't think Jack Welch wrote about that that way. <laughs> you know, I don't know who writes maybe, it. Maybe in some me, pages that didn't make it into winning, but yeah, I, yeah, he may have know, said it at some point. Emotional pooping by Jack Welch. <laughs> Can we say poop on your podcast? Of course. You can say whatever you want on my podcast. Your your hair is on point, by the way. I know you're frustrated <laughs> because it's it's bigger than you'd like it to be, but it's uh you gotta it's nice. You. It, 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 you compliment your bone structure. Thank you. I, I try it's it like I told you before, it's it's a bit out of control. I, I mean I pair I nearly have a, a man bun at this point. I, I think my <laughs> husband my husband's gonna come in the night and chop it off. I, I always wanted Kurt Cobain here. I just didn't know what happened at 47. <laughs> I'm I'm getting to that point. The the top I I have not dealt with at all. You must have a significant amount of product in there, or is it just you have thick hair that's just I like, have hey, really thick hair. I have that's a impressive. lot of it too. And it's just you have like you have like Disney Prince hair. But I also think, well, I don't know any Disney princes that have like this shelf or a cliff. Well, like yeah, I, something I, should be yeah. dangling off the side of it, hanging out. But it, it works. I have some strange <laughs> cowlicks that do things as well. And and the last time I got a cut, I I go to sport clips. I'm not fancy. And I was going to Europe to get an award. It's the last time I'll ever go anywhere again, apparently. 
and it was fun. And I wanted to have kind of a, a chic haircut. So it was really short here and kind of long on the top. And I'm like, it looked really nice. I just didn't realize that a month and a half, two months later, I would still be grappling with really short hair here. And then this thing that is now cascading and comes down to my chin. Is this what you wanted to cover? Do you want to? Do you want to I did. You know, like I told you, we can talk about whatever you want. We can talk. We can, you can say whatever you want on this on this show. I think we should submit this to a psychologist uh, immediately upon conclusion, and then they can tell you what is wrong with me. Um, they will say, you know what? Both of these individuals need to be classified as as severe narcissists and egomaniacs based on their their obsession with their own <laughs> hair. They have touched their I, hair more than a sixteen yeah. year old girl mm-hmm. and, and a mirror mm-hmm. has in the last five minutes. Mm-hmm. So. I, 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 me, me, me. And then we've got, <laughs> Bet, Bet's got some hair going. Um, one thing what, that, what else? <laughs> yeah. yeah. How do you pivot off of that? Um, mm. You know, the best of us. Uh, what I will say is the one thing that I, I admire about what you do as well. And then this goes from a leadership standpoint. Um, this goes from a performance standpoint is I think there is always that moment and whether it's a decision or a performance that is made, that you have to step into something that you're either creating or not yeah. used to, or so it's that it's that first note of a song that you're singing at a performance, or it's that decision that is now put in front of you that you've now got to say the first word of your decision. Mm-hmm. How do you manage that? Because to me, I always look at it as like there's there's always a heart palpitation. I don't care how many shows I've ever oh. DJed that I, I have like minor panic attacks before I go on stage. Yeah. It always happens. But what, what do you do? Like what happens internally that allows you to do things as well as you do them given that sensation? At some point, cause I used to be terribly nervous going on stage. Um, and I still, I will always have my hands shake. You know, my grandmother's did. It's called a familial tremor, I guess. I mean, it's just that, my wired quality and I drink far too much. You're going to hate this Pepsi max. Uh, so my innards are right mush. So I'm just loaded up on caffeine all day. Um, but there was a time I was just so nervous about to go on stage and I would use the energy and channel it through. The problem with that is usually the first couple scenes of a show are terrible because I'm so stiff because I'm so like, Oh, I'm wired and I'm using my energy. And I found that the best way, you're not going to like this answer, the best way for me to quiet those nerves is through preparation. Hmm. The more, and by preparation, I don't mean I memorize my speech because I'm terrible if I've memorized my speech. It's like watching paint dry. Mm -hmm. But I have at least run through it in my head a few times or I've laid awake at night thinking about what am I going to say to this person tomorrow and I have it. And I might not say it the way I said it in my sleep, (laughs) but I have like 18 different options. And or when I'm, what now when I get ready for a, I'm in a show, it used to be I'd start learning my lines a couple weeks before we were going to open. And now if I know I'm going to be in something, I start learning those lines a month or two before we even rehearse for the first time because it, it, it becomes part of my sense memory. And the more that that's in my sense memory, the more that I can channel that energy into stuff that doesn't make me nervous. Because I was finding the thing that I thought what was making me nervous was getting up in front of people and being judged by them. But what, at least in my case, what's making me nervous is the thought of being judged that I don't know what I'm doing. So I have in my, I have in my control, the ability to quiet that part, right? They're going to judge me. People, people are wonderful and people are jerks. And sometimes in the same breath, myself included. So they're going to sit there and they're going to make fun of you 
and they're going to say you're too heavy or too skinny or you're why are you wearing a Bette Midler shirt or you were too glib or you spoke too much. You didn't speak. I mean, everybody's got an opinion about everybody. And mostly it's because they're jealous or they're uncertain or they just want to engage. And the only way they know how to engage sometimes is making fun of stuff because people watch too much Saturday Night Live. Fine. That's going to happen. That's not what's going to make me nervous anymore. It's going to happen. But I have in my control whether or not I feel like I did the best I could do in front of those people. And nine times out of 10, that's just fine. Mm-hmm. And, and it doesn't have to be perfect. And I can misspeak and I can hit the wrong notes. You know, I, I my singing voice is great. I love it. But I my breath control as I've gotten older and stop exercising, I, get, I sing some songs, I get to the end and I'm literally on stage going, <laughs> and then I make it part of the bit. I did uh, putting it together for the Wild Awards here in Michigan. And I was, I just come off of having a cold and I got to the end and this is theater people. And I'm thinking I'm in front of these, these are the creme de la creme of Southeast Michigan theater, which is an ironic statement. I understand. (laughs) And, and I'm singing before them for the first time, this little community theater person, what are you up here doing? And I get up to the end of that song and I'm like putting it together. (laughs) And I'm like, and I was like, and I made a joke of it. I said, I'm too old and fat to be doing this stuff. And that they loved it. Right. So again, perfection is going to get in your way because you think they're judging you for singing the song perfectly. If I sang that song perfectly, it would have been a bore. Mm. But if I delivered it like a monologue and entertained them and made them feel less self-conscious because they're about to win an award or not win an award, it ain't about me. Right. I got to just be a distraction for those poor people in the audience have to sit there for six hours waiting to see if they got an award. But again, remember why you're there and what you're doing and be as prepared as you can be. And when things go awry, make something of it, you know, and then get the hell off the stage. Yeah. That's like my life advice. I, I love that because I, I can't tell you how many times that I'm thinking, like, as you're talking, I'm, I'm, I'm the other part of my brain is like flipping back through my old you know memory files of presentations and shows and all these different things that I've done. And the same thing happens. And I love what you said. It's not necessarily the fear of fear of not being perfect. It's the fear of not being prepared. Mm-hmm. And I can yeah. remember shows where I was like, you know what, I'm just going to wing it and whatever happens. And there have been shows where I've gone in and said, Nope, I have, I have figured out where, what vibe I want to create. Mm-hmm. I, I have enough flexibility that I can read the room and be able to shift if I need to. Flexibility though. Yeah. You prepared, you prepared for flexibility. I think some people prepare and they get it so locked in. It's got the wedding day has to go this way. Yeah. And it won't. Right. Um, my friend, Lauren Crocker, who's a radio person here. We went to her wedding a couple of years ago and it was out uh, in Provincetown. Beautiful. And they planned an outdoor wedding and it was gorgeous, and it rained cats and dogs, and their tent had mud. It was just, and I was like, and God love her, because she's a performer, she studied at theater on the square, she is a uh, DJ, they they improved, baby, they moved to in, the reception down the way, they kept the wedding outside, and to their credit, the sun came out just at the right time, the gray clouds part, it's the most beautiful wedding pictures I've ever seen. And we had the best time because the reception was a little looser. It was like, we're in another room that wasn't planned for and everybody had a lot more fun. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta be prepared to flex, to do something different. It's the people who, and, and I think that the only thing that still makes me nervous are nervous people. Right. 
And that I, I have to find a way around that because I, I work with people who are nervous all the time. But, and I'm like, I'm not. And then you start to get in your own head. Am I, am I not taking this seriously enough? Because they are wound tight as a drum. And they're starting to affect me. Yep. And they like being with me because I seem calm. But I'm not calm when I'm with them. And I don't. That's a challenge I still have to figure out because I get a little snappish around people like that. Because right. I just want to go, will you just calm down? Right. <laughs> We're good. We know everything we need to know anymore is too much. We're gilding the lily. We're prepared, you know, but that's what it is. The, the one thing too, that I, I really appreciate you is that you, you have a genuine compassion for others. You have a genuine compassion for helping and serving and doing everything you can both through your board service um, with Ronald McDonald house. I mean, like you do a lot of really great stuff and why do you think, or maybe, you know, personally, and then overall, why do you think it's important to give back like that and to invest in others and yeah. to do that? I mean, I know we talked about leaving a legacy, but is there something else that goes into that from a, from a yeah. giving back perspective? I, it's a couple things. I mean, and I'll be blunt. I'm gratified that someone asked me to be on a board, hmm. you know, and it, it, I've been on a lot of boards and I started my board service being on theater boards, which is a whole nother kettle of fish. Uh, and you find that when you're on a theater board and you're also interested in being in the shows, things get really dicey. Mm-hmm. You don't make good decisions. You're they're completely motivated by self-interest. Right. And but it was my first kind of foray into being on a board. And I'm like, this is I like I like being in a club. I like being around decisions. I think I have a lot to bring to the conversation. I am gratified that I can take some of the things I get paid for on a daily basis and apply them in a volunteer fashion that will help other people on the call. Earlier today uh, with Ronald McDonald House, we're flipping our Red Shoe Affair Gala that we have every year from an in, in-person event to an online one. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, I'm not a party planner, but suddenly everybody wants to talk to me about how they do Facebook Live. And I'm going... <laughs> so it's nice to be able to bring those things and to feel validated. Again, I, I don't want to sound like it's self-interest, but there is an element of that. Um, but I also think it gives you a sense of community. Um, and as I'm getting older, it gives me a sense that yes, I matter. Yes. I've made a difference, but that, that the things that I have experienced can be shared and can benefit other people that whatever I'm carrying around in my head, if I can get it out of my mouth in the right way can actually help, help something move along. Um, and, and I am a soft touch. I mean, I, I, I would rescue every animal in the world. I see a, a kid or a family in in duress, and I'm just like I, you know, I I I, I watch a, a situation where someone is just being neglected and 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 treated unfairly, and I you know it breaks my heart. You know, Captain America is my favorite superhero for a reason. It's like how can we make everybody feel like they belong? Uh, I don't want anyone to feel left out because I've felt left out in my life. I hate the feeling. So. If something I can do around McDonald House helps a family feel comfortable in a just a god awful time, I can't. I don't have kids. I can't imagine if I had a kid, and I was worried about that they would live, and I had to spend every day in a hospital, wondering what's gonna come, and then I gotta go try to feed myself and pay for a hotel and keep a job. I mean, God. And then the Mosaic Youth Theater. I know the the Detroit pulled all their theater programs long ago. Now they're coming back into the schools, but. I know what theater did for me. And if, and if a kid in Detroit can read a play and, and see a bigger world and have some hope, I think that's great. So, you know, I don't know why I'm getting, it's, it's a long week. Um, I, I just, 
I do feel that I've benefited in my life for people taking a moment and holding out their hand and being kind. And I just think it's important. So God damn it, Rich. <laughs> do you try to get everybody to cry on your show? You're like, oh, no, cry. no, but that's, but that's why I love you. And that's why you're such a good friend of mine is because you, you have that genuine passion for helping yeah. and that genuine yeah. care for people. And, and I, you know, in times that I've needed it, you've, you've come running and, and that's yeah. where, you know, I think, and, and I know that, you know, that I feel the same way about you, that I would do anything in the world for you. And sure. I think that, I know that in of itself is, I, I wish it was more prevalent. And again, I can't, I hate to keep yeah. going back to, to that fact. And, and I do, I think other people have that in them. And I think, yeah, you know, if, if anything, and I, and, and, and some of you've mentioned it a couple of times and I, and I resonate with this as well, because like sixth through, I say maybe fourth through eighth grade were hell for me mm-hmm. because I was an outcasted kid. I was a heavier kid. It was, it was, I struggled. Yeah. Um, I hated junior high. I'm with you on that one. Oh, that was, I, I, had a huge impact on me. The way anybody, people treated me like, in junior high. I will never threaten violence against anybody, but if anybody says, you know what? I love junior high. I would smack them with whatever was near me. Yeah. There's no it was, way. Junior such high. A horrible. I didn't mind high school. Some people really hate high school. Junior high was where I just thought, I, yeah. what is the point? Junior high so. is a painful incubation to me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it's that, it's that sense of wanting people to feel cared about and to feel mm-hmm. wanted and to feel invested mm-hmm. in. And, yeah. you know, that is, that is where I think it was born of me. It sounds like that's where, where it was born of you as well. Yeah, I, I have really great, really great parents. I had great grandparents that mm-hmm. just, you know, uh, my parents will, will, they were the people that would stop the car if they saw a dog on the highway and both of them figure out how to mm-hmm. get it in the car. And that would be our new pet among many others. Right. Uh, I had a grandmother that would stand up in front of God and everybody. If she thought someone, she did this for a Congresswoman who was being bullied by someone in a town hall. And my grandmother, apparently she was a little tiny woman in a straw hat. She was just ever so, and she stood up and she said, you're being really mean and you shouldn't talk to her that way. You know I mean? I just come from people who just, we it just, I feel it and it just wells up in me. And I'm like, I don't like what I'm seeing. Is it a little self-righteous sometimes? Probably. Um, but it was modeled for me that, you know, you just stop, be nice, assume somebody's going through something and don't judge them. You know, don't, don't do that. You know, just give people a break right. uh, or judge the people who need to be judged, <laughs> you know, cause there are a few of them out there, you know, yeah, just, there, and there, so. you know, I was gonna say, there are plenty of those to, to kind of put in that bucket to, <laughs> to use if you need to. So, but I, you know, <laughs> the one thing that I, that I will say is that, um, I have an immense amount of respect for you for all the reasons that I've outlined throughout this conversation. And I know countless people that feel the same way because you are very genuine. You are very compassionate. You are very transparent and real. And I think it's that which we buy into you on because again, it's, it's, it's rare to a fault. And I think you do it so well that we just naturally appreciate that. And you are, Hmm. you know, for, if you ever have needed to hear it, you are heard, you are seen, we see you. We love you for who you are and we appreciate and value you as a, as a person, as a man. And, you know, my life is better because you're in it. And that's why I wanted to have you here to have this conversation. And I want others to learn who you are and and how you see life because more people should see life the way you do. Thank you. That means a lot. I don't take compliments very well. I'm trying to turn this into a joke and I can't think of one. (laughs) 
That Midler thanks you too. <laughs> nope, nope, that wasn't good. That didn't count. <laughs> but, Thank you. And I, I appreciate you and I appreciate that you bring a bright light into this world. And, uh, and you know, you, you, this is a love fest, but it is nice to have friends who inspire you um, and, and, and that you're not jealous of. I think people get jealous sometimes when they mm-hmm. should be inspired and they see somebody doing something really great and they're like, I should be doing that. Right. Good, then do it. Right. Don't take away from their doing it. You do right. your own version of it. Be inspired. And you're, 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 you're very gracious and kind. And I think you, you also are, are very open about, look, I lived through some stuff mm-hmm. and it made me a nicer person. And I think everybody needs to hear that because they usually hide that stuff away. Like I'm ashamed that I was bullied or someone was mean to me or whatever. I'm like, no, tell people that because it happened to everybody right. at some point. And what you choose to do with it, that makes you a decent human being or not. Yeah, I think the I, I completely agree. I think those that would say that never happened to me, or they brush it under the rug to to hide that pride of yeah. it, baloney themselves in the minority real quick because we've mm-hmm. all been down that path. And that's right. The greater that's the right. greater assimilation comes in the admission, and that's mm-hmm. where I think we all become better people because we all understand that we've been through those hardships and we've carried those rocks and we've had those problems. Mm-hmm. So, well yeah. So I love you, my friend. Thank I you love you so too. Much for sharing your story. Thank you so much. For Thank you my for friend. letting me ramble. I appreciate it. Well, and, and, and I will say that, uh, I'm, I'm thrilled that I got to stump you a little bit, um, without having a joke to come back from crying. So I'll chalk that up to a victory. Um, not that I ever <laughs> want to see you cry, but I love, I love your emotion and I love your transparency. Um, Thank you. I appreciate it. Emotional, time. emotional pooping. Remember that. <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to remember anything from this conversation, emotional. Trademark. Yeah. Emotional pooping. That's going to be the name of my seminar. <laughs> we will we will combine on that one because we both have a lot to say around that topic. <laughs> Thank All you. Right. You take care of yourself. You too. All right. Thank you for listening to the Enrich Your Soul podcast. For more information and resources, visit richbracken.com. 